0: folks, welcome inside the Parisi Palace, high above 3773 East Broadway. This is a live edition of the Jake Feinberg Show, comedy on Power Talk. Please go to our website, powertalk.live, download our free app and stream all of our live local programming, including Solomon on Blast, the Jim Parisi Show, and yours truly, the Jake Feinberg Show. Can't thank you enough for making us part of your day today, and as I traverse the musical landscape, uh, it's always beautiful to connect with cats. Um... Who can stretch the lineage of music and therefore for unlock the ears of younger generations' understanding of how real music and melodic improvisation is made? And uh, without further ado, I want to bring in a cat who uh, has had a decorated career that is still going. um, But he definitely he came of age uh, during the the highs of the studio scene uh, of the of the 1970s, where he was able to develop his own individual sound and create an individual person for himself so that, that society knew who he was. Richard T. Bear, welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show.
1: It's good to be here, Jake. Hello to your listeners. I uh, hope everybody's having a good day today. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I wanted, you know, My, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. You know,
0: I I, I just, uh, I, I kind of wanted to know, if you got your start on the bandstand on the Chitlin circuit?
1: You know, it's very interesting that you say that. Um, It it was, the way I got my start is basically um, in a music store in Manhattan. And I went down there to, uh, to get a keyboard to buy a keyboard. And um,
0: What year was this? I was
1: so this I I was God, God only knows. Um, I was let's see 62 60 about 65.
0: Okay, so you Unbelievable. Okay, so you went I to think, get Go ahead. Continue. I,
1: I yeah, I think I was turning 13 and um, I went down there and got a keyboard. It was a place called Manny's Music and i was so amazed <clears throat> at all the musicians and the the vibe and the and the and the the whole sense of of what was going on in that place that anytime i went to the city i i grew up outside the city in those years in a, in a city called yonkers and uh you know next door to my house was a very famous musician in the modern jazz quartet called Milt Jackson, he. Lived there, so I would hear him. You got to be kidding! You records. are
0: you kidding me? Are you kidding me?
1: I, no, no. I mean, I've interviewed.
0: I, I interviewed uh, Don Preston, who played with Frank Zappa, but that dude used to play with Ollie Jackson in Detroit with Elvin Jones, who was Milt's brother. And I've interviewed right. D- Dick Burke, who played drums. Monty Alexander, who played with Milt. Milt was Bobby Hutcherson. Yeah. Milt was Bobby Hutcherson's hero. And and this right. guy was playing these vibes, and, and you were hearing it whistling through. I your was wing- hearing
1: it right, yeah, right next door, yeah, right next In Yonkers, I'm, I'm
0: a Stony Brook cat, but I'm a Stony Brook cat, by the way.
1: Okay. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, you know, like so, music started becoming a big part of my life. Um, uh, I'll be kind of honest with you. I had I had kind of an al- alcoholic father, and you know, I grew up in a in a in a household. That was abusive, and I, I chose music as a way to, you know, for me to, uh, you know, bail into something else, not the reality of the way I was living. And um, as I got older, 15, 16, I used to take the train into the city, and I'd go hang out at Manny's Music. And uh, one day I asked Henry, who, who ran the place, I said, Henry, can I work here? And he said, Yeah, sure. <laughs> We could use a kid like you. So I started going into the city every day. I got my driver's license, drove down there, hung out in there, and uh, would meet the bands that were coming through. Uh, you know, uh, every everyone at the time that went through there in the late 60s into into 70 was, was an amazing musician. And um, I remember one day um, a bunch of guys – came in and they were playing down at the uh, Fillmore East and it turns out it was some guys from the Grateful Dead (laughs) and uh, I got a pass and they brought me down there and uh, we all hung out and I was like this this funny kid I didn't I didn't have a clue on the hierarchy (laughs) and how you were supposed to be right you know I was just totally
0: classic this is unbelievable (laughs)
1: I don't know what the word is, but, you know, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed. and, and But I think uh, that was part of the
0: appeal. You didn't, you didn't, you, it didn't, you weren't following the, the, the rule book, you know. You didn't know any better. Exactly,
1: yeah. exactly, exactly. I didn't, I didn't know how I was supposed to act. Um, anyway, uh, I go down to the Fillmore East. And the reason I'm telling you this story is because it's pretty an amazing one. And I'm down there, and I'm back, I get a backstage pass. This is, one of, this is what I want to say. I'm standing in the in the wings and the and the dead are playing, and it's a big jam night. It was an off night. They just decided to have a big jam down there, and it was the dead and traffic and hot tuna and um hot tuna was an offshoot for your listeners of Jefferson airplane, and traffic of course is Stevie Winwood and all those great guys, absolutely, cats. yeah. And so there's this big jam going on. And uh, so Jerry Garcia looks at me, and there's a Wurlitzer on stage, and he looks at me and points at one of his roadies, and he says, you know, like, bring the kid over, let him play on the Wurlitzer. So I go out there. I think I'm 16 at the time. Wow. And I sit down, and I'm playing at the Fulmore East with the dead and all the rest of these cats. And, you know, I don't know what I played. I don't know how I played. But this transported me into, like, another dimension.
0: <laughs> well, is, are there, uh, just real quick, I know it was a jam night, but are there tapes circulating of
1: this? I have no idea. Okay,
0: so first of all, Je- I, I, Hot T- Jefferson Airplane was definitely broken up at that point. You're saying Hot Tuna was... Yeah, full, yeah it was Hot Tuna. It was Hot Tuna. So it was Yorma, Jack Cassidy... Uh, right. B- Billy, Billy, Will
1: Scarlet, Will Scarlet on harp, Scarlett. on harp, absolutely. Papa John Creech Wow!
0: And then, the dead at that point were only using one drummer at that point. Billy was just the only drummer. Or Was, they, was Mickey still in the band because he got kicked out for a minute?
1: Well, I, I remember it was a night, and Pigpen wasn't there. Yep, the, the, their keyboard player, sure, yeah, or, yeah. or something. Yeah, um, I think there were two. There were two drum sets up, if I re- if I recall.
0: And that tra- – I just want to get back to this, though. Garcia said – he called your name. He called your number. You got the Wurlitzer up there because Pig wasn't – or Pig, didn't, Pig wasn't there. There was no keyboard player.
1: No, there was just a Wurlitzer on the, on the side of the stage kind of near him, and I just sat down to play. And I started playing. <laughs> I didn't know what the fuck I was playing. Oops, excuse me. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. No problem. But I <laughs> – but I, you know, I played. And it was from that moment on that I knew this is what I wanted to be. So wow. I move into the city, and I wind up dating a girl, a lot older than me, you know, one of those things. I think I'm 17 or 18 now. Um, move, in, move into the city. I no longer work at, at Manny's Music. Um, and I live next door to a guy called King Curtis now. Absolutely!
0: Wow. How do you wind up living that? I mean, King Curtis did that. I, that guy was with Chuck Rainey, and uh, Chuck Rainey was with yeah, him. Yeah, King and,
1: Curtis and the Kingpins. I, he I, was the music director at musical director at the Apollo when Buddy Holly got the wrong booking, and he calmed everybody down for Buddy to play.
0: Right. Okay. So you live next to King Curtis. This I live next classic, to King Curtis. Classic.
1: King Curtis likes me. I'm again. I'm this like kid and uh you know he takes me to takes me up to a couple of gigs with him you know and i meet cornell dupree and all the people in this band and uh, you know i'm now i want to be a black musician
0: <laughs> right you went from you went from psychedelic hippie <laughs> went, yeah but then then yeah. you went into the gut no. buck, soul and and uh right. but that, that i mean curtis was he was doing the chitlin circuit i mean this is this is before, yeah. This is oh yeah. Earlier, this is the
1: circuit. Yeah. yeah, and these are the clubs, like a place called McKells up in New York. And, oh yeah. And, yeah, and things like that. And, that, and those are the places I, I would hang out in. I wouldn't hang out in all the you know the the little hip clubs downtown. Um, I would I would hang out uptown. Where when people went Village, I went up to Harlem.
0: Were you going to Minton's and, and Small's Pet were, were those places still open? At all them?
1: those. All the. Oh yeah. All those clubs. And then at that point, I started hanging out on the east side at a club called Dr. Generosities, where I met Richie Havens. And Richie Havens liked the way I played. And he said to me, said, okay, I'm recording tonight. He had just done Mixed Bag 1. He had done, you know, Woodstock. And he said, you're going to come and play on my record. And I showed up there under my real name i wasn't richard t barry yet i was richard gerstein and i show up there and i'm sitting next to bernard purdy and all these you know amazing session players and i start to play on a track i didn't even you know i was very very nervous I think I might have gone out into the bathroom and thrown up because this was like one of my first sessions. No. And from that moment on, you know, Richie Haven said, hey, you're really, really fun. You're really good. I like where you put it in the pocket. Uh, you come play live with us. We're doing the, the Schaefer Music Festival. So I went to the Central Park, I think a few days later, played with them on stage. Um, and from then on, it was, it was on. You know, I put a band together. Um, I played all over the all over town. Uh, what?
0: Well, who was it? Who it, was in that band? What was the name of the band? Who was in the ba- That first band? That the you band
1: played? that I put together? Yeah. B- band I put together was called the Phantom Band. The Phantom and Band. We called it the Phantom Band because you never knew who was going to show up in the band. <laughs> um, but I'll I'll tell you, a couple of the guys from the Letterman band were playing in it. Will Lee would play. Sid McGinnis would play, um, you know, people like that. It was a fun band. It was a couple of people that were on Broadway in, in chorus, a chorus line. Those are the girls that would sing background and um, on and on and on. And it was, it was then that I started to think about being a solo artist. And uh, I wanted to get a record deal. started writing songs. Um, and I ended up being signed by RCA, and uh, I think it was late 77, um, I had become really good friends with the management uh, guys for KISS, I started pl- ghostwriting and playing on some of their things, um, some of their bands, Billy Squire and I started uh, getting together and writing and playing, and... And uh, I met Gene uh, Simmons and Cher. I started writing for her records, um, on and on and on, and got, got a solo album deal, um, put out a few on RCA, and then just toured nonstop. Had a, had a uh, kind of a dance hit record called Sunshine Hotel, Right, that went it, that went into the the disco dance charts was top five in the world, and um, then went over to Europe and found out that you know I didn't have to be an opening act anymore because um, I was opening for the Doobies and I was opening for you know uh, Jay Giles a lot and touring all over the place, and then when I went to Europe, I you know they they thought the record was. Had merit and stood on its own, and I was headlining over there. So I uh, spent a lot of time in Germany and a lot of time in uh, the countries over there.
0: Did you? Uh, can I ask you uh, when you were uh, doing uh, songwriting for Kiss and for Cher? Can you talk about uh, the the keys to the beginning, writing, having a beginning, middle, and end? And, uh, and, 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 the hook in this song, because a lot of younger, I mean, I'm 39, but sometimes you go see shows yeah. today and younger cats, they, I'm talking about, this is more about, uh, instrumental, uh, uh, not necessarily vocals, but the instrumental, right. but the vocals too, they crank it up to 10 to start and they never take it down from 10. It's there the whole right. time. Well, there's
1: not a lot of. You know what it is, dynamics?
0: It's how did you learn, dynamics. How did That's you learn. Would... How did you learn dynamics?
1: How did I learn dynamics? As a studio musician, you know, I, 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 I really went to work at the time when I was young um, at jingle houses where I would write jingles or play on jingles, you know, and they'd sit up three or four jingles in a session for the morning um and they were all dead clients and the and the agencies you know you'd have uh Jello you'd have Kawasaki and you'd have Amstel beer and then or Miller beer and you'd have all kinds of different things and you'd have to play them and I learned the dynamics playing jingles um and writing jingles because I knew you had to have the story told in 30 seconds um and you didn't have a lot of time to just lay out and play. When you go, in, you know, when you go into a, a club or you're playing in concert, there's plenty of time to lay out and play. The dynamics of songwriting are, are such that you need to have some sort of a musical hook that starts the song that you can later introduce in the song again. And I'm talking about a musical hook. And then lyrically tell the story say what it's about in the hook have a solo and I'm a big proponent of in songwriting of having having bridges or something that can take the listener from the story away a little bit let them dream a little bit and bring it back into the story um when I when I hear when I hear people now, um, they're fixated on on rep, repetitive repetition, um, and there are some good songs. I mean, but it's all it's all simplistic. It's not you know there's no craft involved, and um, and that's I, I think because of the way electronic music is right now. I mean you can you know anybody can push a key get a beat and then you know try to build on that
0: well that was that was my point is that i well that's what i was trying to get at is the idea when i interviewed rick marotta he he said you know in 19 whenever the drum machine came in you know you go back to the you know you live next to milt jackson but you know i've interviewed mickey roker and and joe chambers and you know cats like tony williams uh Sure. You know, all the, you know, all the, the funk, the, the San Francisco cats, Shreve, Well, I knew the
1: Murata brothers very well.
0: Okay. So my, my point is that Murata was like, first of all, Murata was a dancer. Uh, he didn't pick up the drum kit, drumsticks till he was 19 years old. But what he said was in the, you know, once the machine came out, younger drummers started to copy a machine. So you all of a sudden lost that individual touch. You, I mean, when I interviewed Bill Cosby, you know, he said, you could put a blindfold on them and you could put on any Blue Note record. You could tell right away who the drummer was. So right. the, 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 the idea here is like uh, when you start to copy a machine, you're going to lose any kind of individual authenticity. So did you, you,
1: you know, like the bumper, sti- like the bumper sticker says, you know, drum and mach- Oh,
0: and,
1: <laughs> and that's and that's, you know, I, I actually saw that bumper sticker again yesterday on a car. What is it? So I'm sorry,
0: I'm, you I'm, cut out there. What does it say?
1: Uh, drum machines have no soul.
0: There you go. You know, like Tony Nagel, he said it doesn't, come, it doesn't come from your hands and your shoulders and your arms. It comes from your heart. The pulse comes from right. your heart. So, I mean, is that, is that part of it too? It's, I mean, is it just that obviously the tools are there, but it's also about humanity.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny you bring Tony up because he and I right now yep. have spent the last year – over a year working on my next solo album. Get out of together. here! Get out of here! No. Yeah, he. Well, he's, he, he's a series, he's the and, producer,
0: dude. I mean, wow, dude, a gut bucket, bad boy. I mean, he's writing that book on shuffle drumming too. But anyway, I, I can't wait for that to come. So, is this the album you're talking about with him? It's with Tony. Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
1: Let me let me give you let me give you a short list of who's on this. Yeah. So, so uh, the bases. Bob Glob, Hutch Hutchardson, Will Lee, Reggie McBride. Uh-huh. Um, drums, Tony Bronicle and Denny Sywell. Uh, guitars, Walter Trout, Lawrence Juber, Doug Pettibone, Josh Sklar. Uh, keyboards, Mike Finnegan, Bentmont Tench. Uh, percussion, Lenny Castro. Horns, Lee Thornburg, Mark Pender, Joe Sublette. I mean, these are all. Well, Finnegan,
0: Finnegan's been a, a, a lifelong fan of the Jake Feinberg show. I can't. Believe, I mean, that is, that is, a. I mean, so let's just talk about that. Did you? Is it your belief that everybody should be hitting in the studio at the same time? Yes. Explain to we the audience. Explain to the audience. We what, go in. Yeah. We're,
1: we're, we're recording over at Robbie Krieger, who is the guitar player in the Doors. We're. We're recording at his studio, hmm. and and it's it's a beautiful studio in Glendale where you can, you know, go in there with as many players as you want, have everything isolated, and, you know, everything's real authentic. There's lots of tubes in the amps, and, <laughs> um, you know, it's real old school.
0: I've been looking for Krieger for years, man. Densmore, I, 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 I did Robbie Krieger that so so it's a great it's but explain about the idea i mean there's so much going on now with younger peeps just in general you know they're emailing a guitar solo that they can overdub into the track and what is it about the well ma-
1: in a way that's in a way that's pretty amazing too because you can you know like i could send a file right to elliot randall right in london and have elliot play on
0: something well dude elliot i think of yeah, right
1: yeah, yeah i mean the, i did. you know elliot Elliot was also, you know, in a rhythm section that I that I was in, um, so, you know, we, you know, we were.
0: What? 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 I mean, I, I interviewed Elliot. What, what was this? Was Randall's Island? What, what? What rhythm section was this?
1: This was right after Randall's Island. This was. Uh, oh my gosh. Uh, Alan Schwartzberg.
0: No, he's a dear friend. I just hung. I just had Italian food with him and Bob Mann. A couple, of, dude. We're yeah, like, we're Neil, just. Neil, Neil is,
1: Jason. Neil Jason and
0: Schwartzberg Randall. and Randall. And Richard yeah. T. Bear.
1: Yeah, we had a rhythm section, and we'd go and play on people's records. You know.
0: Oh, uh, that is, what did you have? What were you called? You weren't called the Wrecking Crew. What were you? What was the name of your of your? No, saw?
1: we just we we didn't even have a name. We just we we'd go out and play. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> but
0: yeah. when you get comfortable with the human, I think that's also the issue, man. I I also look at people with. The, I always talk to the cats about inner time, how they develop their time feel. And when you're on the bandstand with a human being, they're all different. They all have different time fields. So you have to adapt to that and and really gain your own, your own, you know, sort of not rely on, the, I'll never forget Julian Priester told me when he was playing with Sun Ra, you know, Sun Ra would just point to you, point to him to play a solo. But really, everybody had to have their own, they, everyone had to keep time on their own and not rely on the rhythm section to keep time. So you really yeah. needed to have your own internal you know time feel and that came from the fact that you were always playing with different peeps real human people and that's yeah. sort of the issue you know to, to me it's like when when you strip away all that individuality and everything becomes formulaic and you can't tell the difference between one and the other I, you know it just doesn't bode well for and then obviously the saturation of material on youtube now i know you because i've you know i collect vinyl that's all i listen to right. I've seen, you know, you were marketed, that was the listening medium, these records were cut, a lot of it was regional radio, you'd have some hits, but ultimately you see the record, you see your face, you see who you played with, and you say, okay, he has an identity now, Mike Finnegan has an identity now, Brown, yeah. a- Brown Eagle, that was a little, I got to him through Gradney, but Gradney, through Little Feet everybody had their, now on YouTube, you gotta seek, because you're just, we're just saturated man you know?
1: Yeah but that's that's important you know i i i think that technology is important i think you know all all the things that are happening are important it's just that um what's more important is that the human feel let me tell you what i really really want to want to let your listeners
0: in hit on. it hit it
1: okay music okay for example this album that i'm doing which is called bears back. Okay. It's all about people's relationship with music. That's what it is. And anybody that listens to music, they listen to it for a variety of reasons. It's all about their particular relationship with a song. Or sometimes you say to yourself, I can't get that song out of my head. I can't move on to things because it's your relationship with that, with that song. So, you know, music has been around forever since people were whistling, humming, you know, banging on things. And it will continue to be around forever because it's a journey that one, that one looks forward to taking. There are very, very few people that don't like music. But there are a lot of people that live with music as a part of their day. You know they will listen in the car, they listen at work. Sometimes when they're when they're running, you, you know there's always something going on musically. I mean you can be in the forest, the birds are singing. It's all about our relationship with music, and you know that's what I'm trying to do on this on this album. Is is take this kind of the kind of songwriting and the kind of craft. Um, that we all that I grew up on, that, that was really important to me, uh, intelligent lyrics, um, something that speaks to you, that moves you along, uh, and uh, you know, and come up with uh, things that people are not hearing anymore. You know, like what brings it? Well, you know, I, I don't I I don't hear records like Cat by Cat Stevens. Anymore. What about the Richie Havens so, one? Like,
0: what, what was the one that you were on with Havens, where you were playing the piano? Uh, that
1: was called Mi- Mixed Bag Two.
0: Is that a, is that something you don't hear? I would love you to break down the nuanced thing of what you don't hear. Or you can you can riff on Cat Stevens or Havens or whatever you want. Well,
1: you know, you you, you you listen to you know, I mean, people want to hear, and may he rest in peace. I was crushed this week with the death of Walter Becker, big time. Yeah. So, you, so, if you look at a Steely Dan record.
0: My and, God. And Katie Lied. They, Katie Lied.
1: Right. And the way that they work. You know, I have, a, I have a couple of guys that played with Steely Dan that are playing on my album right now, the new one. And, you know, we, we talked. There were, there's one track on, on, on my, my new album called Cab Calloway. <laughs> and I'll give you an example of how, yeah. how, it, how we write. I was driving in L.A., I was downtown. And I saw a guy standing at a bus stop in a white suit, an older black man, probably in his 80s. And he was immaculately dressed, and he was holding in a a brown paper bag probably a beer. I don't know what was in it, but it was, you know, a pop top. And and I looked at this guy, and I was at the light. It was a long light. And I was thinking to myself, what an interesting man – I wonder what his story is. He's getting ready to get on the bus. So I went home that night, and I decided that he was a kid at the Cotton Club. This is where I go with things. He was a kid at the Cotton Club, maybe 10 or 12 years old, and he was dressed like Cab Calloway. And Cab Calloway was performing at the Cotton Club. That was a club up in Harlem for new york for your listeners yeah and uh, as the band came off the stage he would hand out the towels to everybody that was all sweaty and and hot from the gig and when cab came down uh, he'd hand cab his coffee or light his cigarette and cab says thanks cc and his name was cc jones and they used to call him little cab callaway jones so this guy grew up as Cab Calloway. And now he's in his 80s. Cab is gone. But it gives him a lot of sense of self. And it makes him comfortable. And when he closes his eyes at night to go to sleep, he he becomes Cab Calloway. Or he goes out dancing in his white suit as Cab Calloway. And so I turn around and write a song called Cab Calloway. I get some of the guys that played with Steely Dan on this. Because I put it in Walter Becker and Donald Fagan's wheelhouse. This is a song that they might have composed. So that's that's ha- that's the journey that I take.
0: I thought you, it's so weird because you talked about this guy with a pop top and a paper set. I mean, my daughter, my older daughter and I drive to, when I drive her to school in the morning, we've been listening to the Katie Lyde album and, Daddy don't live in that New York City no more. Uh, there's a there's a he's there's a, drinking his, drinking his dinner from a paper sack. I totally thought you were going in that direction, but uh, <laughs> but no, you know that's I, I I wanted you to talk. This is most of my show deals in the metaphysical as as a as a, a modified trap set timekeeper. I'm not a professional musician. I'd like you to talk about because in this country, uh, music more than ever before once they for a variety of reasons it became sit and stare sit and stare and watch the facility sit and stare and watch the chops or just receive receive the music and it's supposed to be entertainment or pacification the motherland of africa it is used as a language it is used for transcendence it is used for spirituality and i'd like richard t bear to talk about a time when you left your physical body on the bandstand
1: Okay. Um, there's two times I left my body on the bandstand. Nice. One was when, uh, artificially...
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I dig. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, and that was prior to 1983, um, when we all, you know, artificially left our bodies. Um, and... Um, <laughs> a lot like, like in those days i was playing with uh steve stills and his band and and Brosby, stills and nash i played keyboards on southern cross
0: oh example. my dude ah oh, you um, are nailing it. dude you are out of your mind okay go ahead and,
1: okay and those are the days when we were artificially leaving our bodies um and we go to good places we go to bad places we would go any places and um you know, that's the way we we thought that this stuff was going to help us write great songs and and help us perform. And in, in reality, you know, the Peruvian marching dust just made our time uh, faster and uh, not quite as soulful. So interesting. You know,
0: that's interesting. So that that's, was, that's interesting. I mean, you you it, it spe, you were sped up and um, yeah. And, because yeah. I just want to tell it you, was I mean,
1: totally I, artificial, and I you know, and it was. It was a lot of waste of, of, of great talent and great, you know, great records that could have been better records.
0: I don't know Um, though. I mean, I know that David Crosby gets a bad rap at that time for being a total junkie, but I, I, that, that, that album, Daylight Again, it's my favorite Crosby, Stills, and Nash album by, by far. I mean, it has the the great.
1: I I, I was there when we, when it was written. I was there when it was recorded. Wow. You know, I was, I was part of that. Wow. And, And. and,
0: it, and you're you know, saying, and you're saying, the artificiality of that transcendence. Actually, the, the album could have even been better. You think?
1: I, I actually do. Yeah, um that's it, amazing. You know, it's there, there. You know, there are things that didn't get on that album. That didn't get on that album for the reason that they just they didn't fit that particular, um, you know, batch of songs. That I thought there were some other ones that were really, really good that could have gotten on that. that didn't make it for that reason okay so that's prior to 83 uh and in 83 in, in in february of 83 i decided you know i got i had to do something about you know what was going on i was living in laurel canyon and i was just isolating and just doing uh that peruvian marching dust all the time and decided i, I was going to stop and it was not hip in those days to stop. Mm-hmm. And and this is a long time ago. And uh, you know, February eighth of this year, I will have been clean and sober for thirty-five years.
0: I'll and so to you, huh?
1: Thank you. Yeah. So from that moment on, you know, I started to have to learn how to play like when I was sixteen and eighteen and twenty again. Naturally getting the high from what I was doing and leaving my body in a more natural way. It was very hard to accomplish that for about a year or two because just the anxiety of playing was difficult. But little by little, it started coming back. And I remember I, I helped start a... Thing called the the Sober Musicians Fundraiser and picnic, and every summer we'd have a picnic, and five thousand people would show up. Oh, the
0: teetotaler and, picnic, it, unbelievable!
1: And, and, yeah, the musicians picnic, um, and nobody would OD. There were never any fights, and uh, you know we'd have uh, performers like uh, Eric Clapton and uh, Dr. John, and Chicago, and on and on and on. Those kind of bands and those kind of people would come to play this picnic for free. Uh And we never put it on, on radio or things like that. But the idea behind this was so that musicians and people could realize that they didn't have to artificially... Put things in, and you know, and play. So you could actually get up on stage and play. And I heard some great solos. I heard some great, some great music, for for almost twenty-two years. And I was part of that on the board for twenty-two years. And you know that I had left my body on many occasions, looking out at five or. Six or seven thousand people that were having a great time and nobody ODing and you know no fights. And, if you were and gonna, if you were cool. going
0: if you were gonna come, you had to be uh, sober. I mean, as far as a musician,
1: you, no. Uh, the only requirement was uh, the only requirement for that day is you didn't bring anything in. Right. And who knows? You know, there were probably people that were loaded, but um, the, the, nobody was selling any booze nobody was selling any drugs you know it was really for the for the sober community um
0: can you just talk about the the this is so important because a lot of times uh I'll play my trap set or my my electronic drum kit and I won't plug it in I'll just put on I'll put on records like uh you know like Lee Sklar and Russ Kunkel records just try to play the groove but you know it's like I I I know that I just Feel the music more when I smoke pot, and I say to myself. So when I'm there sober, I say that I break. I'm not as in. A, I'm not in a trance state as much, and I can't get in. I think over time. I can get in the music, but for somebody like yourself on the the um, Persian uh, March, can you me, just talk? Can you talk about what? Specifically what were the hardest men- Mentally what was the hardest thing to overcome To get to that point When you were definitely Leaving your physical body In a totally authentic way
1: The hardest thing
0: The mental The, men- uh, the yeah.
1: The hardest thing The hardest thing was to, to um, You know To be a musician you, You've got to have an ego and one of the one of the hardest things is to to focus on what you're doing at the time and not what's going on around you and you know i have got nothing against anybody you know that smokes or 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 you know moves along in in that uh, on that journey. I mean, I'm just talking about me. I couldn't do it anymore because I was a pig and I, you know, used up my e-passes, my e-tickets. And, um, you know, so now what I try to do is I try to start that journey when I play live or I play in the studio. I just want the music to take me, I don't want to take the music.
0: So it is about um, managing your ego.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's 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 check your ego at the door, and be of service to the music.
0: So the second time you left authentically, can you talk about when you left your physical body? Sure. Yeah.
1: I I I can remember being being over in Europe, for example, and playing places, and playing uh, playing songs that. That we would start a song, um, and then get into a, a, a jam, mm-hmm. so to speak, mm-hmm. and, and that jam could go for ten minutes, <laughs> uh. <laughs> and and uh. you you're thinking it was three minutes long,
0: right? That's right. The that time, you, you nail yeah, you're nailing it. You're a, nailing it.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a time thing. It's like you know. It's like. You have no sense when you leave your body. You have no sense of time, except the signature of the time of music. But in actual time, it's like, and if you and if you do it right, neither does the audience.
0: Well, though, and that's my that you know you are very perceptive, because that was what I wanted to ask you. Is I want to get the Richard T. Bear concert. I know you weren't playing. Uh, you know, odd metered Mahavishnu orchestra stuff or, you know, African scale music like Bobby Hutcherson and Harold Land. But I do want you to, I want you to talk about your concept, the Richard T. Bear concept, that any note, when you get lost, when you leave the head of the tune and you go off into improv in a group setting, right? that any note can be the one. Because I see yeah. a, a lot of younger cats today The rhythm set They're always I remember talking to uh, uh, Bernie Ledden's brother Tom I did an interview with Tom And he And he was with James Jamerson In a band In the late 70s After, right. after he had already moved out to LA and, and, and he told him Jamerson was telling him a story one time Where they were in the studio And these guys were hemming in home And was like I don't know where the one is Where's the one? And Jamerson's like Any note <laughs> any note can be the one Any note can be the one and I just want you to riff on, the, on your con- what's your, what is your concept of any node can be the one.
1: Yeah. Uh, my concept is, you know, for me, it starts with a guy like Tony Bronigal. Mm-hmm. And him counting it off. We find, we'll, we'll get a click going. <laughs> we'll, we'll hear the time. And we'll go. Oh, you know, let's let's move it from 86 to 82, or up to 96. You know, and when when that when when the drummer says that's right, and it feels right to him, <clears throat> and then the bass player starts to play and puts it right where it's supposed to be, where it, there's no you know, it just sounds. It's it's the foundation. Then. You build upon that. And if you build it, (laughs) it will come. It's, uh, you know, it's, you know, music is like sex. (laughs) Yeah. Very much like sex. And, um, you know, there's a lot of foreplay involved. But then when you get into that groove, you know, you just leave your body. It's the same thing. And that's why I think people love music so much.
0: Absolutely, you know, well, it, and you and when it's when it's when it's a grind, then it, it, there's push and pull, it's not cool. But when you get into that groove, yeah,
1: it's that's right. It's
0: it's an orgasmic kind of.
1: It, it is. It's it's one of the places that music can take you is is the same place, in a way that sex can take you. You kind of leave your body.
0: Now we're getting getting into. I mean, Richard T. Bear is just riffing. I mean, you, uh, you know, I wanted to ask you about. Um, the other thing is the idea of, you know, um, so what, what? what is your, con- you, you believe that any note can be the one. I mean, essentially you could be playing, you could be playing in seven, but the drummer might be playing in four, four time. It'll all come back around again. I mean, this is what I'm trying yeah, to, I'm tr- yeah. what I'm trying to get at is this idea of like, just not being obsessed with where the one
1: is. No, the one's always going to be there. You know? Yeah. The, the, the the pocket's always going to be there. It's it's where you can take it within the pocket and go back to the to the start of the you know start of start of the beat again, um, where it ends up. I mean, it's not it's not it's not for some people it's how many notes they can play in a short amount of time, and for others it's where they put the notes in that short amount of time and how those notes are blended together or separately or as a chord or as a solo that moves that particular track along. You know, there are some amazing, amazing players, and I listen to what they're doing, and I go, wow, I never thought of it that way. And that's because they have transcended you know the basics
0: do you think that there's, there's a, some great yeah.
1: young there's some great young
0: players no i know there are and and this is what i wanted to ask you i mean you're out in southern california i'm just talking uh i i just look at it and i say there's a supply and demand issue now you guys are on the bandstand Six seven nights a week, sometimes three four weeks at a time. If you were touring, as Mike Finnegan would say, you know, you were you might be playing upholstered sewers, but you know, it was you were playing and you were getting comfortable playing with other peeps. And I look at people now and I say, why is there this emphasis on huge facility, monster chops? Look at me, look at me, look at me, and it's like because they don't know the next time they're going to be on the bandstand. And you didn't have that issue. There wasn't that kind of anxiety. And I think that that's one of the issues now is. I just don't also, and I'm, you can just riff on it any way you want, but I don't, I'm, I'm just wondering how we got to this point in our society with the exception of maybe New Orleans uh, or if you're Tower of Power, Journey, or Steve Miller Band where if you're just regular cats, uh, all of a sudden it's, oh yeah, you can play, but you got to pay to play. Or you can, pay, you can play for the door. All of a sudden, I mean, right. Dizzy Gillespie, uh, was maybe, maybe he wasn't a millionaire in a monetization point of view? He was treated like royalty because of the respect that he was doing. Well, you
1: know, yeah. honestly, when I when I when I went to Germany, yeah, a long time ago, I give I give you an example. Now I'm not talking Paris, about Europe. Okay.
0: Europe is a different, at, di- totally different. In
1: Paris, yeah, yeah, but but here's here's what I'm saying. Yeah. there wasn't privatized radio. Right. There wasn't a privatized media. It was government run at that time. Hmm. So people would tune in and listen to the one hour or one and a half hours of music that they would get in the evening or whenever. And they would and they had a respect and this is all about respect, they had a respect for for players when they would come over there and they would you know, a guy that would not be looked at in the United States would go over to Paris or to Hamburg or Munich or Berlin and the place and it could be an upholstered sewer, like my Finnegan says, yeah. but it would be packed with people and they would they would drop on every note and listen to every single thing that the guy did. And there's very few places like that anymore and it's all basically because people can't remove their phone from their hand and their eyes. And because of electronics, and because things are happening so quickly that nobody can focus, without it's it's almost an addiction—an I it's agree. An electronic addiction.
0: And I'm part of it. And how do you how do you modulate? How do you guys deal with it? As the gray beard, as the, you guys are the you know li-
1: I you know what I would think would be great. I would think it would really be great if someone played a concert and and, and made everybody check their phone at the door. <laughs> that would be, <laughs> yeah because I mean yeah, you know I yeah. expect Neil young to do this one of these days you want to come in sure
0: put it in the bag the put the, t- put the, yeah. put your
1: phone in here we'll give you we'll give you a, a tag and you pick up your phone on your way out instead of standing there looking at your phone and you know video videoing something you should be listening to.
0: That's interesting. As a journalist, I, I I went up to the Musical Instrument Museum in 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 Scottsdale this weekend, and you know, as a journalist, I when I I love using the Facebook Live tool because right. I I can chronicle. You know, I, I mean, there was this there, there was this raga going on with you know uh, tablas and and sarod, so I right. I want I want to be a, I want to produce content on new media, and I don't want to just be staring at my phone. I, I mean, I think that that's abhorrent, but does it? Um how do you guys... I mean, the one thing that's special about my program over the last six years is that you go back to Bluegrass, it's Bill Monroe. You go back to R&B, it's Sam Sam Cooke and Ray Charles. You go back to jazz. It's, right. Okay, so you guys either played with or interacted with on a consistent basis the original masters of the music. And I look at you guys as the, the torchbearers and the guys that are going to enlighten younger people when there is... Well, here's
1: here's the thing, and this is the reason why I made this record. Yeah. Because I want to carry the torch you know, on for the way that these records were made and the way that these songs were crafted for people that really want to be songwriters and want to be musicians right now, that want to get a bit of the old school and morph it and mash it up into you know, whatever the technology and the electronic technology is, you know, Pro Tools, whatever. Um, and and kind of, you know, it, it's, it's important for us, because everything's going to change, and I understand that. Yeah. You know, nothing's going to stay the same. Everything moves. But it's really important that, you know, uh, we still listen to Mozart and Bach, you know, and Handel and Beethoven, Then we listened to, you know, all the stuff that was on chess records and, you know, and, and stuff and coming out of Chicago. And that's why blues has made such a huge, huge comeback. I, I just wrote a song for a guy called Walter Trout. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Walter.
0: Mm, maybe. Go ahead.
1: Okay. Well, Walter Trout had the blues album of the year last year. And right now his new album called Duets is number one on the blues charts. And he is a, a great, great blues guitar player. He played with Can Heat for a while, and, 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 and a bunch of other people. And I wrote a song for him with Charlie Musselwhite, a, a, a blues harmonica player. Yeah,
0: dude. I just in, I just interviewed Charlie. Told I just interviewed Charlie. Two weeks ago, and he told the greatest story about uh, getting orange sunshine from the mafia in Chicago. Right, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. No, I, I mean, yeah, Muscle White is—he got he, all, Muscle White also got—he got paid. I, yeah, he got paid thirty.
1: That's, that's one of the. Yeah, <laughs> that's one of the reasons why I had to stop. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, I'm telling you, man. I, and also, by the way, for his first record for Vanguard, after all the taxes were taken out, he got a check yeah. from the union for thirty-six cents. I love Muscle White. So anyway, go ahead, Trout.
1: <laughs> I mean so so you know I I love I love the cats that are still around that make that kind of amazing music mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and that's that's why I can live with I just got let me let me look over here I'm looking at some checks I just got in one is for 91 cents 17 cents Six cents,
0: eight dollars, and 30 cents. Hold on one more. Eight
1: dollars? And one for a penny. I've got them on my wall. I keep... I put them up the wall.
0: That is legend. That that is...
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We're not getting rich.
0: The one... This is... I want to... We're going to do set two, Richard T. I I do want to... My final question about this this album uh, is... Uh, it's. Uh, I've talked to enough. I've talked to Keltner three times. I've done interviews with Coach Mar Sklar, all the studio cats. Right. And it's not digital versus analog. It's how you mic the room. How did you? Exactly. How did you mic? How did Brown Eagle, or how did you mic this this session that you're coming out with? with?
1: Okay, here's. You would want to talk to, and you should probably get him to do an interview with yeah. you. A, a Fellow named. Michael Dumas. Wow. And Michael Dumas, uh, he did a lot of the Dwight Yoakam hits and things like that. Sure, sure. And Michael is Robbie Krieger's partner.
0: Wow.
1: Yeah, and he has the studio Horse Latitudes. And I did did the record there and also with a guy called Johnny Lee Schell,
0: I've been looking Texas for dude. That's Gradney's Texas boy. They. I. I got to get to Johnny Lee show. Yeah, later. Johnny
1: Lee's. Yeah, Johnny Lee's playing on this record. Too, oh my
0: god, on. this is a burner. Dude. What? What? It's called Bear is Back.
1: Bear's back. Yeah.
0: Bear's back. Unreal. Go ahead. So yeah, the mic. Yeah, the micing.
1: And and it's you know it's where it's where they're putting mics now and, and w- the kind of mics they're using. Mm-hmm. To do kind of things. Um and you know i I was listening here's the thing you know um I, I, and i I was a record producer for a while as well, and I've been you know kind of co-producing this with with Bronicle, but I've left a lot of it up to tony um, what's what's happening now is you know we're listening to these tracks that we've finished, and we're getting ready to to mix them and there's they they almost sound mixed because sonically. They sound so good, and nothing's been put on them. We haven't had to, you know, fix this with a little bit of highs or a little compression or this, that, and the other thing. Everything is kind of where it's supposed to be, and that's based upon the fact that Michael Dumas and Johnny Lee Schell record stuff so well that there's not a lot of fixes to be made.
0: Right, And, 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 and so... But younger cats would feel like they would have to automatically I was
1: just I was just in a studio with a guy called JJ Blair. Uh-huh. And he he's a guitar player and a producer. And um he had just had Nancy Wilson in his studio <laughs> um, the, the night before I was in there. She was recording. And I went in there with uh, a friend of mine called Edgar Winter. And and edgar's playing on this record too and
0: who's not who else who's not playing on this record you know
1: (laughs) it yeah that's that's why i can't i can't finish this record because (laughs) someone said to tony he said when when is bear going to finish this record um we're up to like 20 songs now and he says i don't know he keeps writing
0: <laughs> well, and Brown Eagle, and listen, and, and 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 he's
1: writing songs. So I guess when he stops writing, we'll we'll finish. Well, I mean, but, this could this could
0: turn into two two CDs, right? I mean, it could turn into a double album. It, it could, yeah.
1: yeah it easily easily could be a double album, right. or it can be you know, volume one, volume two. Um, I I went in with with uh, Edgar Winter, and Edgar is going to play horn on this on this shuffle gospel thing that I, that I wrote. And I said to J.J., I said, uh, so uh, what are you going to mic them with? And he he opened his mic vault, and there's like a couple of million dollars in mics in in this little vault. And, you know, he brings out some Neumanns and things like that that are just pristine like the day they were made, and they're 30, 40 years old. You know, they could have been used at Capitol Records on Sinatra. You know, and uh, so it's how you're miked, For you know, like we used a guy called Chuck Berghoffer. Do you know who Chuck is?
0: Dude, he, dude, are you, Berghoffer is still cooking, is he playing upright?
1: Yeah, he's playing upright on the album. Oh, yeah.
0: um, are dude, what is he, like 90 now? I mean, dude, he is, not, he's, he, he's,
1: he's well into his 80s. He comes, he comes flying in, brings out, brings his upright, you know, sets it up. You know, all I Johnny want, all the, I want
0: to be there is with Larry Bunker and Chuck Berghofer. That's it. That's unbelie- yeah, unbelievable. Yeah.
1: We, so this is why I did this record, so so that I could play with these kind of cats in this kind of way.
0: Well, I, I mean, uh, Richard T. Bear. I, I mean, this was a mind melting interview. I really had a ball, man. I, I let's uh, let's stay in touch. And, it's, our,
1: it's all about our relationship to music.
0: Yeah, no, but I, 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 did. I mean, you, you have a, there's there is a. Um, it's very hard to describe music because of it's a very emotional. It's it's a nonverbal thing, but you have a way of. Um, you clearly had you 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 know, you have the chops to get around not just musically, but to understand how real how real music is made. And even though this album might be taking a little bit long. Brown Eagle also has a book on shuffle drumming that he has just been, it's been ages and, and Dom Fumularo is going to be, he beats him over the head every six months to get that thing out. So you're not the only one that's dragging on this dude. I just, I, you know, let's stay in touch and uh, let's do part two once the album uh, or, you know, anytime you want, I'd love to.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're, we're probably a couple of months away from the, from the uh, finish it, you know, finish the mixing and mastering and all that. I just did a photo shoot for the cover, so we're getting close.
0: All right. Well, much love to you, man. Have a, and, and enjoy those eight cent royalty checks, man. Have a, <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy, man. It's crazy. Great hang. Yo, and if you can connect me with Dumas, uh, that would be great.
1: Yeah, I will. All I right. will give you his uh, email address. I'll text it over to you. And also, uh, text me your uh, email address, and I'll send you over a rough mix.
0: And also, uh, yeah, I'll get you a copy of this. Send me a picture you want for the web post, but I'll be transcribing some stories, and I'll get you a copy of this uh, later on today. You got it. Later on, man. Enjoy.
1: Nice talking with your listeners.
0: Nice talking. Good uh, to hear you, man.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Can't wait to talk again. All
0: right. Keep it happening, Rich. Ciao. Later.